everyone, I hope you're all doing so well and welcome back to the Criminal Makeup Podcast and welcome to the very first episode of 2024. Each episode we dive into the minds of some of the worst criminals in history and today we are going to be talking about the case of Suzanne Kappa. So the case that we are going to be talking about today is a heavy one. I cannot stress that enough. Today's case is going to be a lot. Today's case has been described as one of the most sadistic murders in the UK. And unfortunately, after researching this case, I think that description is justified. Normally, the media like to sensationalize murder cases, but in today's case, they were accurate. Suzanne Kappa was a 16-year-old girl who went through some of the most unimaginable things that no human should have to go through. And this case is often compared to the cases of Junko Furuta in Japan and Sylvia Likings in the US because of the absolutely horrific suffering that all three of these young girls had to go through. And before I started my research on this case, I did know of the case of Suzanne Kappa, but I had no idea about the full extent of the suffering that Suzanne endured. For some reason, this case doesn't seem to have the most coverage, which is why I wasn't aware of all of the details of this case. And when I started getting deeper and deeper into the research, I was just absolutely shocked. But there are basically no documentaries on this case. This case has not been given the coverage that it should have in the UK. And I think the reason why traditional media don't really cover this case is that the facts of this case are just too hard to handle. The facts of this case are so difficult to hear. I was almost hesitant to cover this case myself. But because it is so undercovered, I think it was important to bring this case to you guys. It deserves more coverage. But I've got to warn you, this case is not going to be an easy one to listen to. So please, please just be prepared for that. And let's dive in. Suzanne Kappa was born in 1976 to her mother, Elizabeth. She had one older sibling who was her sister, Michelle, and she grew up in the Moston area of Manchester in England. Now, Suzanne didn't have the best start in life. Her dad wanted absolutely nothing to do with her. And her mom did soon remarry after that relationship split up to another man who became Suzanne's stepdad. However, this was not a happy marriage either because Elizabeth, Suzanne's mom, and her stepdad would constantly argue. It was a very volatile relationship. It was not a good household to live in. There was just always tension in the house. There was always an atmosphere. And this was a huge source of stress for Suzanne. Now, Suzanne growing up was described as a very high-spirited girl, a very gentle girl. She was extremely polite and considerate. And she was the kind of person that would just always go out of her way to help others. However, what absolutely breaks my heart is that all Suzanne wanted in life was to be loved. 
because she didn't know that. She didn't know that at home and she was just always looking for others to accept her, to love her and she never really ever found it. But not only did she grow up in that environment where there was just always an atmosphere, mom Elizabeth actually walked out on Suzanne and her sister Michelle. She just walked out and left the two girls with their stepdad. And as you can imagine, that really traumatized Suzanne. I mean, her biological dad already doesn't want anything to do with her and now her biological mom has just walked out because she doesn't really care. And Suzanne was approximately 14 years old when her mom walked out and very, very sadly, her life would only get worse from here because from the moment that her mom walked out on them, Suzanne and Michelle then did not have a permanent home. They moved around between their stepdad's house friends, family. They would occasionally stay with wherever their mom was, but they didn't have a home. They were just sleeping on people's sofas who would let them. They even spent some time in the care of the local authority. It just seemed like no one wanted to deal with Suzanne and her sister Michelle. It just seemed like they just kept getting passed around and no one really wanted to deal with them. And this really did have a huge impact on her life because as soon as her mom walked out at the age of 14, from the ages of 14 to 16, Suzanne pretty much didn't attend school. Her attendance has been described as erratic and she would just never turn up, which I mean, of course she didn't. She didn't have a stable home. She didn't know where she was sleeping every day. I feel like school is probably the last thing on her mind and it doesn't really Really come up that much in this story but I've got to say the local authority um, are definitely to blame a little bit for this case. We're not going to get into that too much today though because we have a lot to get through but I just feel like the local authority should have been able to see okay these two girls are not really attending school, they don't have a stable home, maybe we need to look after them. So now we get to 1992 and Suzanne is 16 and this is when Suzanne starts to spend a lot of time with a woman called Jean Powell. Now Jean Powell was 25 years old. She was a mother of three and she knew Suzanne because Suzanne had been babysitting for Jean since she was the age of 10. And as Suzanne got older, she started to spend more and more time at Jean's house. I mean, of course she did. She didn't have a stable home and she knew Jean, so she was spending a lot of time there. And it's said that Suzanne started to see Jean as kind of like a motherly figure because she is older. She's 25. Suzanne's 16 at this time. That is a big age difference when you are 16, she is looking at Jean as that parental figure, the one that has taken her under her wing. And Suzanne was spending more and more time with Jean and her three kids. And it's said that Suzanne at times would call Jean mom. Suzanne was completely taken by Jean because like I said earlier, all Suzanne wants in life is to be loved, to be accepted, to have a family. And she thought that she had that in Jean. However, tragically, Jean was not that person to Suzanne because, spoiler alert, Jean is evil. Jean worked as a drug dealer and she was a part of quite a lot of criminal activity, to be honest. Like, her house was a revolving door of criminals, like people trading stolen goods, stolen cars, drug deals going and everything. Jean's neighbors have described her as someone that had a temper. She was very volatile. She was the kind of neighbor that if you saw them, you would run back in your house. And she has been described as a wolf in sheep's clothing because on the outside she would seem all charming, nice, caring, but on the inside she was manipulative, dominating, just pure evil really. And something that Jean did a lot was use people and take advantage of them. And unfortunately, this is exactly what she did with Suzanne. She saw Suzanne's kind-hearted nature and took advantage of it. 
So like I said, Suzanne was babysitting for Jean, but Suzanne did it completely free because Jean never paid her. Suzanne would also kind of be the cleaner of the house as well. And again, Jean would not pay her. And Suzanne, like I've said already a million times, all she wants is love. All she wants is to get that attention that she needs and craves. And at this time, Suzanne sees Jean as this motherly figure. So she's like, of course I'm gonna do all of this for you for free. Like, of course I am, you're my mom. At one point as well, Jean even convinced Suzanne to drop out of school and become a cleaner and then Jean took all of her wages. So Jean, not a good person at all. And unfortunately, it would be Suzanne's relationship with Jean that would lead to the tragic events of today's case. However, Jean is not the only evil character in today's case. There are actually quite a few, six in total. And the next evil person that Suzanne met was a woman named Bernadette McNeely. And if it's possible, Bernadette is worse than Jean. So Bernadette is 23 years old at the time, and she is also a mother of three, like Jean. And she had just moved into a house that was literally a couple of doors down from Jean. So because they literally lived basically next to each other, that is how Jean and Bernadette got to know each other. And Bernadette was also a neighbor from hell. She was another person that if you saw her, you would run back into your house because Bernadette would quite often get into confrontations with the neighbors. And there was even one neighbor where Bernadette threatened to burn down their house. Now she didn't burn down their house, but she did set fire to their clothes hanging outside that were drying. So uh, yeah, that is the kind of person that she is. Not the kind of person that anyone would want to associate with, maybe apart from Jean. They were basically the same person. They were both evil to the core. They were kindred spirits and they became best friends. They were both manipulative. They both lacked remorse. They were both out for themselves and they started to spend a lot of time together. I mean, they were best friends. And because Suzanne was spending a lot of time at Jean's house, this is then how Suzanne met Bernadette. And this is where we need to talk about Jean Powell's house, number 97 Langworthy Road. And this house has been described as a house from hell. It was a hotspot for drug dealing, but also drug taking. And like I said, it was full blown criminal activity coming out of this house. You named the criminal activity and it was going on there. There was just stolen goods everywhere. There was industrial weighing scales in the kitchen, for obviously all of the drugs. The place was just a mess as well. There was just rubbish everywhere. I mean, the house was never really cleaned unless Suzanne did it. They were even using stolen car seats as sofas in the living room. So hopefully I've painted like a good enough picture of what this house would have been like somewhere where no one would want to go. However, despite this, despite it pretty much being a house where no one would want to go there, it was always full of people. I mean, Jean was living there. She had three children. I know children are living in this house. This is why I get so angry at local authorities because it was pretty obvious what was happening at this house. 
And there's children living there. Okay, so we've got Jean and her three children living there. Bernadette has also moved into the house. Don't ask me why, because I don't know. So Bernadette and her three children have moved into the house. And I don't know why they moved into the house because they had a perfectly fine house a few doors down. And I looked on Google Maps because I always do. You know, whenever I do a case, I always have to drop my little man and see the area and everything. I like to kind of immerse myself into the case. So I dropped my little man on Langworthy Road because I wanted to see where was number 97 and where was number 91? Number 91 was Bernadette's house. You can literally see they're just a few doors down from each other. It would have literally taken 10 seconds to walk from one house to the other. So I really don't know why Bernadette has moved in. And I'm just gonna say at this point, there are six children living in this house. And we don't really know much about the children in the house. They don't really come up again in the story. Like I don't know whoever they are, I just, I hope they weren't too traumatized by living in that house. I'm sorry, we're getting off track here. So we've got Jean, her three children, Bernadette and her three children. But then there are also a few more residents that would stay at the house nearly full time. They weren't there all the time, but they basically lived there. And the other residents that lived in the house are the other evil characters in today's story. And there are four more people that are a part of today's case. And I feel like now is a good time to introduce them. And I'm sorry if it gets complicated, but there are a lot of characters in this story. So I'm just gonna go through them one by one and hopefully it doesn't get too complicated. So first we have Glenn Powell, who is Jean Powell's ex-husband. And I don't know if he was the father to the three children. I don't know. Possibly, who knows? But even though they were divorced, he was just still always there at the house. He would always be there and kind of basically living there. And Glyn, like everybody else, was evil. Not a good person. He had convictions for burglary, theft, and he plays a huge part in the suffering of Suzanne, which we're obviously gonna get to in a bit. Next, we have Clifford Pook, who was 17 years old. He was Jean's younger brother. Now he would always be at the house as well. He would help out with the family business. Again, another evil person. And it's just crazy because he's only 17. It's, oh. And third, we have Anthony Dudson, who is 16. Oh. And Anthony was Bernadette's boyfriend. Anthony is only 16, Bernadette is currently 23. And whilst we can accept that there is a power imbalance here, and there is definitely a power imbalance with the 16 and 17 year olds of Clifford and Anthony, that does not excuse what they go on and do. Uh, but yeah, mm -mm. both evil. Anthony Dudson, evil. And lastly, we have Jeffrey Lee, who was a regular visitor at the house. He didn't live there as much as the other people that I've just mentioned, but he was there quite a lot. And he would just hang out at the house and buy and deal drugs as well. And fun fact, not that it's really fun at all, but Jeffrey had convictions for stealing money from his 86-year-old disabled aunt. So yeah, He's not a good person either. So a lovely group of people, like really just spot on. And if that wasn't bad enough, all of that, what I've just said, they were all sleeping with each other. So we've got Bernadette who is sleeping with Anthony who is 16. So that is creepy enough on its own. But then Anthony is also sleeping with Jean. So it's like this 25 year old woman and this 23 year old woman, they're both 
sleeping with a 16 year old boy. Anthony would just go between the two of them and apparently his nickname was Randy Rabbit. It really does just make you feel sick, doesn't it? And then Jean was also sleeping with Jeffrey and then there's her ex-husband there and I cannot confirm if she was sleeping with him, but I wouldn't be surprised. Maybe Bernadette was sleeping with him as well. The only person that didn't really seem to be sleeping with anyone was Clifford, who was Jean's brother. He was the only one that kept it in his pants. So it's a very weird house, isn't it? And then you've got to remember as well, six children in that house. Very weird house, lots of criminal activity, lots of weird sex activity and then children. And when you think about how many people could have been possibly in that house at the same time, how did they all fit? I mean, all six children were apparently sleeping in one room on one mattress. There were adults sleeping wherever they could on mattresses upstairs and downstairs. There was mattresses pretty much everywhere. And this is a small terraced house. It's it's not that big. And I just feel like how the hell did all of these people fit in that house? And this is the situation that Suzanne got dragged into. So like I said, Suzanne is babysitting for Jean. Jean is being nice to her, but she's not being nice to her. She's just manipulating her. But Suzanne doesn't see it like this. Suzanne sees Jean being this loving, caring, motherly figure. And Suzanne was doing pretty much everything for Jean and it wasn't long until she was just completely sucked into this chaotic household. Suzanne's sister, Michelle, also lived in Jean's house for a short time as well. But Michelle moved out as soon as Bernadette moved in because Michelle could see that Bernadette was evil. And as soon as Michelle moved out, things got even worse for Suzanne. What started with taking advantage and manipulating Suzanne soon turned into physical abuse and bullying. Over the next few weeks, Jean and Bernadette made Suzanne's life a living nightmare. Suzanne became an outlet for both of their frustrations. If anything went wrong in that house, and I mean anything, it was always Suzanne's fault. Jean would accuse Suzanne of not looking after the children properly. If things went missing in the house, it was always Suzanne. Suzanne was stealing stuff. Jean and Bernadette would shout at Suzanne, be very verbally abusive. They would beat her up, physically beat her up and leave pretty much her whole body covered in bruises. And Suzanne never did anything wrong. The only thing she ever did wrong was trust the wrong people. And very sadly, Suzanne just accepted these beatings. She accepted her quote, punishments. Suzanne stayed in that household even though she was being physically abused. Now you've got to remember that Suzanne is incredibly vulnerable. She has never no love. She has never gotten the attention that she needs. So in Suzanne's mind, she was probably making excuses for Jean. She was probably just thinking, oh, like, oh, she cares about me. She loves me. Like, she wouldn't do this to me if I didn't deserve it. If I just do what she wants and accept these punishments and do everything that she wants me to do, maybe she will love me again. Suzanne's sister, Michelle, has also said that Suzanne didn't stay because she was scared of them. She stayed because she wanted to please them. However, one time Suzanne did pluck up the courage to leave and she tried to find somewhere else to stay. So she went to visit her mom. Now, her mom was living with a current new boyfriend and Suzanne was not allowed to stay in the house because the new boyfriend didn't like it. But Suzanne still turned up at her mom's house and Suzanne was covered in bruises, and I mean head to toe. She had been completely beaten up by Jean and Bernadette. And Suzanne asked her mom, can I stay the night 
And her mom said no. Because of the new boyfriend, because he didn't want Suzanne staying there, her mom didn't let her in. Apparently, I don't know if this is true or not, which is why I say apparently, her mom did say to her that she would have a room ready for her in a few weeks. So come back in a few weeks, but you can't stay right now. And Suzanne was covered in bruises and her mom didn't ask any questions. She just assumed that she'd been in a fight, which was obviously completely wrong because Suzanne wasn't in a fight she had been beaten up. And this is a pivotal moment in today's story in Suzanne's life because Suzanne had finally plucked up the courage to leave Jean's house. She had finally realized this abuse is not right. I need to leave. So she went to her mom and she hoped that her mom would stand by her just this one time. But her mom turned her away and told her, come back in a few weeks. But tragically, it would be too late by then. Suzanne's sister, Michelle, has reflected on this moment and she has said that if her mom had done something at this point to help Suzanne, things may have turned out differently. Suzanne actually did manage to find another place to stay. She stayed with her stepdad. It's just crazy, isn't it, that her stepdad is allowing her to stay in his house, but her own biological mother won't. So Suzanne, for at least a little while has gone away from Jean. However, it would not stay like this for too much longer. Back in 97 Langworthy Road, Jean and Bernadette were frustrated that Suzanne had left. They were frustrated that they basically didn't have someone to kick and punch around. They were still blaming Suzanne for everything that went wrong in that house though, even though she wasn't there. For example, a pink duffel coat went missing and they blamed it on Suzanne even though she's not there. And then all of a sudden in 97 Langworthy Road, there was an outbreak of pubic lice. So the STD crabs. And of course they found some way to blame this on Suzanne. So Jean, Bernadette, Glenn and Anthony all had crabs and it was Suzanne's fault. It's like you're all sleeping together unprotected. <laughs> Do you not think it's that? They came to the conclusion that because Suzanne sometimes shared the same mattress as them, that is how they caught pubic lice. <laughs> they clearly did not pay attention in school because that is not how it happens. I can't imagine they did genuinely believe that it was Suzanne that caused this outbreak. I mean, they can't, can they? But it doesn't really matter to them. They're just looking for someone to blame. Not only this, they want to get revenge. They decided that Suzanne must pay for this. And this was apparently the warped logic behind the tragic events of today's case. And I do have to give a very serious warning because from this moment onwards, what we're about to hear is just, it's very difficult. It's inhumane. It's absolutely disgusting. So on the 7th of December, 1992, Jean and Bernadette needed to think of a way 
to lure Suzanne back to the house because Suzanne is still currently staying with her stepdad. So Jean and Bernadette turn up at Suzanne's stepdad's house and they told Suzanne that there was a boy waiting for her at number 97 Langworthy Road and that he fancied her. And Jean and Bernadette knew that Suzanne would not be able to resist this because they both knew that all Suzanne wants is love. And they were right, Suzanne couldn't resist finding out who this boy was that fancied her at the house. So she went back with them. However, it was completely untrue. There was no boy there, no one that fancied her. And as soon as Suzanne entered the house, Glyn Powell and Anthony Dudson were there waiting for her. The two men instantly restrained Suzanne and dragged her into the kitchen. And Suzanne at this point was absolutely terrified. She didn't have a clue what was happening. Once in the kitchen, the group made up of Jean, Bernadette, Anthony and Glenn hold Suzanne captive. And this is where the tragic torture of Suzanne Kappa began. The first thing they did to Suzanne was to shave off all of her hair. The hair on her head, her eyebrows, and also her pubic area. Apparently, because everyone in that household had pubic lice, when they had gone to the doctors, the doctor had said, like, you need to get rid of all the hair, you know, down there. And they were not happy about this. So they wanted to make Suzanne suffer the same. And then after completely humiliating her, I mean, shaving off all of her hair everywhere, it's just so absolutely humiliating and disgusting. But not only that, they made Suzanne clean up after herself. They made Suzanne literally clean up her own hair that they had shaved off. And it doesn't stop there because unfortunately, shaving her head everywhere was probably the most humane thing that this group did to Suzanne. So following shaving all of her hair off, they put a plastic bag over her head. And over multiple hours that followed, Suzanne was beaten, kicked, whipped. She was struck with belts, belt buckles. The group also found these large wooden, uh, it was a spoon and a fork. It was clearly some kind of like decoration on the wall. Basically there were these huge wooden things and they used these to beat Suzanne as well. And these would have been very heavy. And they were just laughing the whole time. Each of them took turns to hit Suzanne. The beating was so severe that Suzanne's arm, I don't quite know what happened to it, but it kind of went limp and that is it. It just hung by her side for the rest of the torture, like she couldn't move her arm. And eventually Suzanne collapsed under this torture. She completely passed out, to which then the group dragged Suzanne and put her in the cupboard under the stairs and just left her there all night. It's hard to even imagine that happening. It's hard to imagine a human being being able to do that to another human being. And it's crazy, but it only gets worse from here. So the next morning when Suzanne woke up, Jean and Bernadette realized that they needed to move Suzanne out of the house. Both Jean and Bernadette were annoyed at Suzanne because Suzanne was screaming. <sighs> I swear, there better be a special place in hell for those two. Well, for all of them, to be honest. How can they be annoyed at Suzanne for screaming after they have tortured her? But they were annoyed at Suzanne 
screaming because she was disturbing the children. I know we need to remember here that there are six children in this house. There were six children when this whole torture was happening. Suzanne's screams were making the children upset. So Suzanne needed to be moved. And then Bernadette came up with a brilliant idea because she was like, let's just move her to my house. Her house was only like two, three doors down and it was empty. Why at no point did any of the group think, you know what, we've gone too far here. Let's let this 16 year old girl go. But no, they didn't think that at all. Instead, their solution was to find somewhere where Suzanne's screams wouldn't be heard, which doesn't really make sense to be honest, because given the style of house, because it's a terraced house, the neighbors would have been able to hear Suzanne's screams. Like they would have been. The walls are not that thick, which again is another thing. Why did none of the neighbors report this? Once Suzanne was moved to Bernadette's house, Bernadette kind of took on the ringleader role. And tragically, once she was moved and once Bernadette did take on this ringleader role, things only get worse. And it's just like, how, how? This is just completely unimaginable. As soon as Suzanne was in the house, she was taken to an upstairs bedroom where there was a bed frame that had been turned upside down. So it was just the wooden slats that were exposed. Suzanne was then gagged, blindfolded, and forced to lie spread eagle on these wooden slats. And she was then tied to these wooden slats with electrical cord. And then for the next four days, Suzanne was left tied to this bed. No food, no water, no toilet breaks. And she was subjected to some of the most inhumane torture imaginable. She was whipped, beaten, burned. The group would even put out their cigarettes on her face. And as soon as Suzanne showed any signs of passing out, the group would inject her with amphetamines to wake her back up. And they intentionally used these drugs so Suzanne was awake for the whole thing, which in my opinion makes this whole thing even worse. Like obviously it's still terrible, but forcing her to stay awake during this torture, like why? They must have been getting some sort of kick over the power they had over Suzanne. They must have been getting a kick out of her screams. But it wasn't just physical torture that Suzanne was subjected to. She was also subjected to psychological torture. Suzanne was forced to listen through headphones, music on full volume. And she was forced to listen to the same song over and over and over and over again. It was the same song, full volume on continuous repeat. The song was called Hi, I'm Chucky, Wanna Play. It was a rave song that features snippets of Chucky. I'm sure you all know who Chucky is from the film Child's Play. And I have to insert a clip of this song. I, I just have to, to just give you an idea of what Suzanne went through and I listened to this song, it's five minutes long and I really suggest every single one of you go pause right now and go listen to the song, Hi, I'm Chucky, Wanna Play. Listen to the whole five minutes and I swear you'll hear this whole case completely differently because I did it. I listened to that whole five minutes. I put it on my headphones. I listened to it, not on full volume, but I listened to it very loud and it changed everything for me. It gave me chills. It was just horrible to try and like 
imagine. You, you can't imagine. This whole thing, you can't imagine it. But when I listened to it, I've only listened to it one time because honestly, one time is enough. I was crying. feel like this case is real. Like when I was researching it, as I'm saying everything out loud right now, it doesn't feel real. It's like, how is this real? How is this real life? How is it that Suzanne, a 16 year old vulnerable girl, had to go through this? Not only all of that physical abuse, the psychological abuse, just the complete humiliation. It's hard to imagine one person doing this to another human being. But then you have to remember that there are six people that are involved in this torture. Six people that have all made decisions themselves to carry out this torture. All six members were participating now in the torture. So we have Jean and Bernadette. Bernadette is obviously now the ringleader. We have Glyn and Anthony. And then Clifford and Jeffrey by this time have also joined in on the torture. And Bernadette was just getting more and more out of control. All six of them, but especially Bernadette, were completely out of it on drugs. And I don't know if Bernadette likes the film Child's Play or just likes the Chucky doll, but she decided to almost take on the persona of the Chucky doll. Before each torture session, she would go into Suzanne and say, hi, I'm Chucky, wanna play? And every time she said this, it would trigger Suzanne into a huge screaming fit. She was absolutely terrified because this signaled the start of the torture. At one point, Clifford, who was Jean's younger brother, found a pair of pliers and decided that he was going to pull out Suzanne's teeth. He started hitting her teeth with the pliers repeatedly, laughing the whole time he was doing it. And he was doing it repeatedly until her two front teeth completely came out. He then used the pliers and attempted to pull out another tooth, but the tooth just snapped in half, leaving the nerve exposed, which left Suzanne in the most excruciating pain. And I just think, why? Like, why did Suzanne deserve this? To think of all of the suffering that Suzanne went through, I knew I was gonna struggle to hold it together in this video. And at this point, the torture had been going on for three days at this point. And Suzanne was not allowed any water. She wasn't allowed any food. She wasn't allowed any bathroom breaks. And she was just lying in her own feces, basically. And the group decided that they were fed up with the smell. So they dragged Suzanne into the bathroom and they shoved Suzanne into the bathtub that was full of concentrated disinfectant. They then scrubbed her skin with a stiff brush and they were scrubbing so hard that her skin actually started to peel off. I've honestly just been sat here for like five minutes. I really just can't pull myself together. <sighs> I'm sorry, I try and not get emotional in these videos, but it's kind of hard sometimes. I don't want to speak on Suzanne's behalf, like I really don't, but she just must have felt 
helpless and just lost and alone and just scared and broken, just completely broken. So um, after being held captive for days, a new person enters the house and that is 18 year old David Hill. David was friends with the group and he'd been living out of Bernadette's abandoned house every now and again. And one day he just came to Bernadette's house to visit the group. He didn't know that Suzanne was there at the time. So when David arrives at the house, it's just Jeffrey and Anthony there at the time. And when he got there, he heard noises coming from upstairs, which was Suzanne. And he asked Anthony and Jeffrey, he was like, what is that? Like, is somebody upstairs? And Anthony and Jeffrey, instead of hiding what they were doing and saying, oh no, no one's upstairs. Like, oh no, let's go out. Like, don't listen to that. They were just like, oh, we're holding Suzanne captive. Like, want to come and look? Like, want to come and see? It was like, they were proud of what they were doing. So they show David, Suzanne, and David is in utter, utter shock. Suzanne was tied up to this mattress. Her head had been shaved. She was beaten to a pulp. Her skin was obviously falling off. Teeth had been pulled out and she was just lying there completely out of it. And then Anthony and Jeffrey turn to David and say, oh, we've just got to pop out for a bit. Can you keep an eye on Suzanne? And David was just left with Suzanne. Now Suzanne at this point was actually still conscious, I don't know how, and she had the strength to actually talk. Suzanne saw David as her opportunity to escape. She thought that there was still hope that she could get out of this alive. So Suzanne turns to David and says, can you help me? Please help me. But David told her that he couldn't. David asked, what's your name? To which Suzanne replied, my name is Suzanne. Suzanne didn't give up though. She asked David, please, can you help me? Please. She pleaded with David to help her. But David just replied with, I'm sorry, I can't. No matter how much Suzanne pleaded with David to help her, he didn't. He just sat there and watched over her whilst she was tied up to this mattress. David has later said that he was scared of the group. He was scared of what the group might do to him if he let her go. So when the group returned, David just walked out of that house and didn't say anything. He didn't report them, nothing. Now, I can understand why David was scared. I mean, if you walk into a house and see someone tied up the way that Suzanne was and see just what this group of six people are capable of, I can understand you being scared. But all it would have taken was an anonymous phone call to the police. But he chose to do nothing. Suzanne was now left with no hope. She saw David as her one and only opportunity. And after five days of being held captive, Suzanne's family had finally started to wonder where she was. Suzanne's family knew that she had been living at Jean's house. So Michelle, her sister, went to Jean's house looking for her. But Jean said that she didn't know where Suzanne was. She didn't have a clue. She hadn't seen her. So Michelle told Jean that she was going to report her sister missing. And this made the group panic because they knew it wouldn't be long until the police turned up at Jean's house and then the police would then probably end up at Bernadette's house. So the group now needed to figure out what to do and they realized that they were left with two choices. They could either release Suzanne 
or kill her. They knew if they released her that she would go straight to the police and tell the police everything and then they would get arrested. So they decided that they had no other option but to kill her. And then they needed to decide how they were going to do it. And they decided on one of the worst methods imaginable. They were going to burn Suzanne alive. And it's not known why they came to this decision. Like, no one knows. Your guess is as good as mine. There are some speculations that he had something to do with the Child's Play movie, but we don't know. In the early hours of the 14th of December, 1992, Suzanne was forced into the boot of a stolen car. Inside the car were Glyn, who was driving. Then there was Bernadette in the passenger seat next to him. And then Jean and Anthony in the back. The four of them drove for about half an hour. They were all laughing and joking while Suzanne was in the boot until they arrived at a remote woodland area just outside of Manchester. Once they arrived at the woodland area, they took Suzanne out of the boot. She was completely disoriented. She was drugged up. She was starved, sleep deprived. She had zero energy to even try and fight back. And the group were at the top of an embankment and they just pushed Suzanne down the embankment and she fell and rolled through brambles that were cutting her body, cutting her feet. When Suzanne was just lying on the ground at the bottom of the embankment, Bernadette picked up a petrol canister and just started pouring it all over Suzanne. Bernadette then instructed Anthony and Glyn to set her alight. The two of them tried multiple times, but the fire would not ignite. But unfortunately, after multiple times of trying, they were successful and the flames quickly emerged all over Suzanne's body. And as soon as Suzanne was on fire, the group just walked away, laughing and joking. And as they walked away, they sang the song, Burn Baby Burn. And it's just, crazy to me that they tried to set Suzanne on fire multiple times. They had multiple chances to change their mind, to think, hang on a minute, this is way too far. This is like, what are we doing? The group obviously thought that they had killed Suzanne. They thought that there was no way anyone would be able to survive being set on fire but they were wrong. By some miracle, Suzanne was still alive and she was fighting for her life. Somehow, Suzanne had managed to put the fire out. And what is even more incredible, that after five days of torture, she hasn't eaten for five days, she managed to crawl her way back up the embankment. She crawled all the way until she reached the road. And at 10 past six in the morning, she was spotted by a passerby. The passerby was a man called Barry Sutcliffe. He was just on his way to work when he saw Suzanne on the side of the road. And he could not believe the state that Suzanne was in. I mean, she's a 16 year old girl. She's completely battered, bruised. She's naked. 80% of her body was covered in burns. Barry said that the skin on Suzanne was literally hanging off. Barry rushed to help her and he took her to the nearest house to get help. The residents of this house were Michael and Margaret Coop. They phoned an ambulance, obviously, and then they did everything that they possibly could to help Suzanne. Suzanne drank six glasses of water 
but she was unable to hold the glass up herself because of how badly burnt her hands were. Michael said, quote, both her hands appeared like ash. Her legs were just like raw meat and her feet appeared to be badly charred. Her face was almost featureless. Her hands were red raw and black at the fingertips. His wife, Margaret, instinctively tried to comfort Suzanne and she put her hands around her. But as soon as she did, Suzanne instantly pulled away because of how much pain she was in. She couldn't even bear to be touched. Also, Barry, Michael and Margaret have all said that they could not believe how polite Suzanne was. Suzanne just kept thanking all three of them for their help for what they were doing. Even after everything that she's been through, she is still this kind-hearted, gentle girl. They were just completely amazed that she was being so polite. I mean, oh my god, look at what she has been through. She is a fighter. If there is a definition of a fighter, it is Suzanne. When the ambulance arrived, Suzanne was rushed to the hospital and her mom and stepdad were notified. And when her mom and stepdad arrived at the hospital, it's reported that her burns were so bad they couldn't positively identify Suzanne. The only way they managed to identify her was through a fingerprint. It was from her thumb. And that was pretty much the only finger that wasn't burnt. The hospital staff got to work on Suzanne and amazingly, she was fit enough to talk to the police. And thankfully, Suzanne was able to tell the police exactly what had happened to her. She was able to tell them about her captivity, her torture, and about the six evil people that did it to her. But not long after she told the police what had happened to her, Suzanne fell into a coma. Meanwhile, at 97 Langworthy Road, the four people that had burnt Suzanne, Bernadette, Jean, Anthony and Glynn, had just returned home. The group were now joined by Clifford and Jeffrey, and all six were drinking as if they were celebrating. 7.30 that morning, just an hour after they had arrived home, the police were at the door. The police stormed the house and they found all six of the perpetrators that Suzanne had named. The four that were a part of burning her alive hadn't even changed their clothes. They hadn't even cleaned up after themselves. And the group of six were in complete shock that the police were already there because they were convinced that they had murdered Suzanne. They did not think that anyone would be looking for her. And they also thought that there was no way that the murder would be linked back to them. I don't know why they thought that. They're not the brightest bulbs in the box, are they? But even still, as they were being arrested, it's reported that Jean and Bernadette were laughing and joking about the whole situation as they're being arrested. All six of the group denied involvement. They denied everything. However, the police searched both Jean and Bernadette's house and in Bernadette's home, they found the room that Suzanne was held in. They found the mattress. They found the headphones. They found the tape that was playing the child's play Hi, I'm Chucky, I want to play song. They also found Suzanne's shaved hair in the bin. They found a pair of bloody pliers but then they also found two of Suzanne's teeth that Clifford had kept as trophies. The group were taken down to the police station for questioning. All six denied everything. All six were like, yeah, no, we didn't do this. We don't know what you're talking about. And pretty much none of them were saying anything. But then Anthony, only 16, was pressured by his dad and he eventually started talking. And as the story unfolded, this was how the police 
learned the full extent of the torture that Suzanne went through. And these police officers are highly trained. They've dealt with a lot of very horrific crimes, but even to them, this was too much. Police officers were breaking down in tears listening to what Suzanne had gone through. Obviously, all six of the people that participated are evil. There's no disputing that, but I can't help but wonder, would they individually have carried out these horrific crimes? Or was it this group mentality? Were they egging each other on? Were they only doing it because they were in a group? I can't help but think that, but they're all evil. I don't really care, to be honest. Back at the hospital, Suzanne was still fighting for her life. She had been in a coma now for four days. Everyone, her friends, family, the hospital staff, everyone was literally praying that she would make it through. However, Suzanne's injuries were just so extreme. Along with dehydration, starvation, and severe burns, she had also suffered multiple organ failures. And tragically, on the 18th of December, 1992, Suzanne passed away. Everyone was absolutely devastated. I mean, for everything that this girl had gone through, for it to end like that, everyone was just hoping and praying that she would make it through. And after everything that she went through, for her to have the strength, the energy, to be able to crawl and get help and then end up in the hospital, I just really wish that things would have turned out differently. I really do. And following Suzanne's death, all six were now charged with murder. The trial started on the 16th of November, 1993, and lasted for 22 days. During the trial, all six turned on one another, and they all blamed the other for everything. Like, none of them took responsibility for anything. However, it didn't matter. There was too much evidence. We also have Suzanne's testimony. There was too much against them. And the jury found it pretty easy to come to their decision. They found all four, Jean Powell, Bernadette McNeely, Glyn Powell, and Anthony Dudson, guilty of false imprisonment, conspiracy to cause grievous bodily harm, and most importantly, murder. These four were found guilty of murder because they were present when Suzanne was burned alive. Clifford Pook and Jeffrey Lee were acquitted of murder because they were not present at the time of the burning. However, they were both found guilty of false imprisonment and Clifford was also found guilty of conspiracy to cause grievous bodily harm as he confessed that he was the one that pulled out Suzanne's teeth. Given their murder convictions, Jean, Bernadette and Glynn were all sentenced to life in prison with a minimum of 25 years. Because Anthony was only 16 at the time of the murder, he was given life in prison with a minimum of 18 years and then this was lowered to a minimum of 16 years on appeal. Clifford Pook was sentenced to 15 years for his GBH conviction, and Jeffrey Lee was sentenced to 12 years for his false imprisonment conviction. In a statement to the press after the trial, the detective working on the case said, quote, psychological reports say that these are absolutely sane individuals. It's frightening that they are such ordinary people. There is nothing special about any of them. And what is just the hardest thing to process about this case is why. Why did they do this? We don't actually have that much information on the six perpetrators. We don't really have 
any information on their background, on their upbringing, if they suffered as children in any way, because that is what we dive into in this channel, but we don't really have any information. So I can't really tell you anything about them. All we know is that all six of them were declared sane individuals at the time of the torture, false imprisonment and murder. And unfortunately, a motive has never really been found. I mean, I know the six said that they wanted to get revenge for the pubic lice, but that is not a reason. Like I said, was it just the gang mentality? Were they just egging each other on? Were they showing off in front of one another? And normally at this point, I would say something like, and thankfully, this person is still in prison today. But unfortunately, that is not the case for this story. Because in 2014, just 21 years after the murder, Bernadette McNeely was released. And this infuriates me more than anything. Bernadette was the ringleader. Why the hell is the ringleader out? Apparently, Bernadette showed good behavior in prison, so that is why she got released early. However, in 1996, it was actually found that she was having an affair with a prison officer. Uh, doesn't really sound like good behavior to me. It's also reported that Bernadette had a romantic relationship with Myra Hinley. Uh, what? And, <laughs> get this, Bernadette was also friends with Rose West in prison. Really? And now that she's released, guess who's her best friend? Karen Matthews, I swear. All of these female prisoners in the UK, they're all friends. They all get to know each other. Like, really, what the hell? It's also reported that in prison, Bernadette was still manipulative. I mean, shock, horror. And apparently Bernadette could even manipulate Myra Hinley and Rose West. Hmm. And I think it's pretty clear that somehow she manipulated her way into being released. I am sorry, but the UK prison system needs to look into this. Like, really, what the hell? How are we allowing prisoners to manipulate their way out of prison? Because apparently Bernadette was released because she was a model prisoner and that she showed a lot of remorse. I'm sorry, I don't buy it. Like, that is a load of crap. And in 2014, she was just released and she was given a new identity and she was just able to carry on and live her life. And there are news reports that say that she is now sharing an apartment block with Karen Matthews. She's going to be a bridesmaid at Karen Matthews's wedding. Bernadette and Jean were the main people in this torture. Jean is still in prison, so why the hell is Bernadette not? I mean, Bernadette was given 25 years minimum, but she only served 21. What is the point in giving someone a minimum sentence if they're not even going to serve that minimum sentence. I have a law and criminology degree, okay? I studied the prison system sentencing and everything. I understand that you are going to get your prison sentence reduced on good behavior. I get that. But I'm sorry, there are some crimes where I don't care if you are the perfect prisoner. You should not be allowed out. And I'm sorry if the murder and torture of Suzanne Kappa is not one of those crimes, then what is? There is no way that Bernadette should be out. No way in hell. And I don't even care if she's watching this right now. She needs to be put back in prison. And Bernadette wasn't the only one to be released. Oh no. Jeffrey Lee was released after only serving five years. Remember, he was given 12. And Clifford Pook was released after eight years. And remember, he was given 15. So Glyn, 
Jean and Anthony are the only three still in prison for the murder of Suzanne Kappa. And I touched on this slightly in the beginning, but the case of Suzanne Kappa didn't receive that much media coverage. And given how sadistic and horrific it was, you would think that it would be all over the media. But one of the reasons why he didn't get much coverage is because of the murder of James Bulger. It was a horrific murder of a young child who was murdered by two other children. And it took place only two months after the murder of Suzanne Kappa. And it also only took place 35 miles away. And the coverage of the James Bulger case completely overshadowed the murder of Suzanne Kappa. But even in the years following the murder, this case hasn't really been picked up by the media. Like I said, there's pretty much been no documentaries made on this case. And the BBC and ITV make documentaries on pretty much every single case that has happened under the sun in the UK but not one of them has made a documentary about Suzanne Kappa. And I couldn't get my head around this. It's like, why? Like, this is one of the most sadistic crimes in UK history. Like, why do not more people know about this case? However, it's thought that because the crimes in this case are just so horrific, everyone wants to shy away from it. No one wants to pick it up because it's just that bad. People literally want to brush the case of Suzanne Kappa under the rug. They literally want to pretend like it didn't happen. And I do get it, I do, because like I said, I was even hesitant on covering this case because it really is that bad, but this story needs to be out there. It needs to be told. People need to know what Suzanne went through and also people need to know what those six people did to her. And finally, I just want to reflect on the tragic loss of Suzanne. Suzanne was a gentle young girl that would do absolutely anything for anyone. She was polite, thoughtful, caring, and all she ever wanted in life was to be loved, to be cared for, to be accepted. On Monday the 18th of January 1993, Suzanne's funeral was held in Manchester, which over a hundred people attended, which included her friends, family and several of the police officers that worked on this case and a tribute was made for Suzanne which said you will never be out of our minds we will never stop loving and missing you and that brings us to the end of the episode on Suzanne Kappa and I do have a quick update on today's case which is that in early 2023, Glyn Powell, the last of Suzanne Kappa's murderers behind bars, was also released from prison. Meaning that all four of the people convicted of Suzanne's murder, Bernadette, Jean, Anthony and Glyn, have all been freed and are all roaming the streets, which is crazy to me. How did these four people commit one of the most, if not the most sadistic murders in the UK? How are they out of prison? How are they just out and about, walking the streets, able to live their life after what they did to Suzanne? And they're all still relatively young, so they can all start again, which is something that Suzanne Kappa will never be able to do. And that just truly makes me so angry. So I'm really sorry. This case has been so heartbreaking. It has been so heavy. And now 
now we end on that update which has made me furious so thank you so much everyone for listening today subscribe or follow to make sure you never miss an episode of the criminal makeup and if you enjoy the show it would really mean a lot if you could leave a five-star review in the meantime if you've been affected by any of the themes in this episode please take the time to look at the description for this episode for some helpful resources special thanks to my producers at audio boom studios and i'll see you all in the next one